Welcome to the Readings Podcast, a celebration of books. I'm Nico Callaghan. In today's episode, Nell Pierce's A Place Near Eden is the 2022 winner of the Australian Vogel's Literary Award. The award is one of Australia's richest and most prestigious awards for an unpublished manuscript by a writer under the age of 35. Part absorbing mystery, part riveting family drama, A Place Near Eden is a story of the pursuit of the truth and the ways we fail those we love. Pierce was interviewed by Reading's programming manager, Christine Gordon. Here's the recording of their discussion. Hello, my name's Christine Gordon and I look after some of the events that happen at Readings and today I have the delightful experience of talking to prize-winning author Nell Pierce. She's just won the Vogel Award, which is that award that is given to authors that are under 35 years old and have achieved something sort of extraordinary. They've created a manuscript that's ready and out there to be published. Welcome, Nell Pierce. Welcome to the Readings Podcast. We are so pleased to be talking to you today. Can you take us by the hand, Nell, and tell us what it was like when you got that phone call that you had won the Vogel Prize? Thanks for having me on the podcast, Chris. So I think I had a little bit of warning that some good news might be coming my way, but I didn't know how good because I got an email first from Alan and Unwin asking me to sign something, sort of swearing myself to secrecy, which was very exciting and kind of suspenseful. Um, and I did think at that point, oh, maybe I'm a shortlisted or a finalist, but I really didn't expect it would be anything more than that. And so I just sort of sat on my hands for the few hours between sending off the NDA and waiting for the phone call. And then Annette Barlow gave me a call um, and my partner was actually in the room next door and I came out and he said, oh, I could hear you screaming with excitement. (laughs) Um, It was incredible. And it was really funny timing as well because I was pregnant and it was just the end of my first trimester. And so I hadn't really been telling anyone that I was pregnant for those early weeks. And I just started sharing the news with everyone. And I'm a terrible secret keeper and it was just especially when it's happy news I just wanted to share it with everyone so I was kind of relieved to be like great no more secrets all my happy news out there and then I got this new exciting great secret and I was like okay (laughs) back in the secret keeping but very good very lucky yeah now I'm so surprised that you've said that you can't keep secrets and the only reason that I say that is because your book A Place Called Eden is in some ways about secrets. That's one of the central themes I would have thought to this novel that is based on who's telling the truth and who's not telling the truth. And here you are saying, look, I can write it, I just can't do it. I mean, I don't think it's that I can't keep a secret, but I think that keeping secrets makes me stressed out. And sometimes I don't know, um, I'm almost, I keep things more secret than they almost ought to be. I feel sort of paralysed and unable to be a normal person in conversation out of fear that I'm going to, you know, say the wrong thing. Often when, you know, if you accidentally mentioned it, it probably wouldn't be the end of the world anyway. But I feel this sort of terror of secret keeping. (laughs) I like that actually, because I think in some ways, if you are trying hard to be a good person, of course, we all suffer in that way that you have to keep other people's secrets or your innermost thoughts to yourself. 
And it does lead me on to your prize-winning book, A Place Called Eden. If you were in one of those terrible movies where you're in a lift and you had to do that kind of elevator pitch about your book, that two to three lines that people say, what would you say? And then I want to see if that's what I would say having just finished reading it. I mean, I'd say A Place Near Eden, it's the story of a girl or a woman named Tilly who had a foster brother when she was an adolescent and he was removed from their family. And then, you know, five or so years later, they reconnect and there's a terrible accident or event. And a lot of the book is her looking back on her time with Sam when she was younger and also during the kind of now of the book when she's a bit older and kind of coming to terms with her relationship with Sam and her responsibility for what she may or may not have done or for for her responsibility for Sam. So I think a lot of the novel is thinking about memory and the difficulties of memory and also truth and how we can have kind of different understandings of our shared events and also guilt, I think, and how we are responsible or relate to other people. I mean, I think a lot of my characters are a bit unlikable and at the beginning maybe don't necessarily take too much responsibility for other people, but by the end maybe have perhaps matured a little bit. (laughs) We're going to prance around the plot a little, but I thought that was a terrific sort of summary of the book that you wrote. So it makes sense that you would actually have the perfect summary of it. Now, I don't want to give anything away, but I do want to talk a little bit about the teenagers and you just being in that mind again of sort of that terrible time that we all seem to remember and have some sort of romantic or non-romantic vision of where you feel like you're an adult. You feel like that you have the whole world waiting. It's just that you can't access it. As that teenager, you know that 16 and 17-year-olds where you're so ready, you're so ready to be an adult, but there's so many rules still in place. And so instead you wither away so many hours in your particular novel. They obviously were having a nice time together, but still you've got some of the anguish of that longingness. How did you do that? Did you remember your own youth or did you talk to young people Yeah, I think I was thinking a lot about my own youth and, you know, I think the main character, Tilly, she's kind of passive and feels the kind of awkwardness and anxieties of youth particularly keenly. I think I was really looking inside myself and maybe looking at some of the more difficult emotions or less flattering parts of myself perhaps. Yeah, trying to kind of explore them on the page and see where that went and, you know, what I might what conclusions I might eventually draw, yeah. Now, is that a tough thing to do? Is that tough to sort of go back into yourself in that way? Did you find it a bit emotionally wrenching or what was the experience like? At the time, no, because I was really just writing it for myself. I wrote it over years just kind of before work in cafes and I sort of thought nothing would ever really happen with it and so you know, in that sense, I felt quite free just to sort of write whatever. But then when I found out that I'd won the award and the book was going to be published, of course, I was extremely excited. But also it was the sort of exposing (laughs) feeling. And I did feel a bit sort of 
nervous or queasy about suddenly putting out into the world this thing that had been, I mean, I hadn't even really shown it to my partner before um, and he does writing as well before I had one. So it was kind of a private thing and then suddenly made quite public. It was a book that you worked on for quite some years. I've read in different interviews that you've done, sort of a five to seven year sort of time span, something that had been going on in your mind. Yes, yeah. I started it in 2017. So I was in New York and I was working as a kind of junior literary agent. Can we just have a little pause there? Because we we just gosh about that for a little bit. Because if anyone, and I imagine everyone that's listening to us right now, has a romantic vision of the book industry, it would perhaps include working for a literary agent in New York. (laughs) That's what you did. It was a really fun, incredible, life-changing experience. It was great, but it was also a little stressful sometimes. And so I think when I started this novel, I was finding work kind of stressful. And my partner, Mark, actually suggested to me we were on holiday and he said, maybe you would find work less stressful and you might even be better at it if you were doing something in your own time just kind of for yourself. And so he encouraged me to start the project. And then, you know, if I slept in one morning and didn't get up in time to do some writing before work the next day, he'd be like, get up, get up. You've got to go and do your writing, which was really amazing. Yes. And then I just worked on it just over years, just kind of chipping away. And the early drafts were so terrible. They weren't even really books. I remember, you know, I'd finished the whole thing. Like one time I went away for a week uh, to upstate New York and it was winterous, freezing cold. And I did an Airbnb in a kind of like camper van on someone's property. And it was just the coldest I've ever been in my life. It was snowing. I wore all the clothes that I'd brought, just lay it on top of each other. And then I finished the manuscript and I trudged into town and printed it off at the local library. And I sat down and I started to read it. And I got maybe five pages in and, you know, the whole time I'm like this is I think this is done this is done and then I was like no this is not even close to a book this is nothing so I just had to start again (laughs) you know when I talk to other authors and I I don't know whether you're the same they often say to me that one of the ways that they became a better writer from that first draft is just by reading other people's books is that what you did too was that part of your process Absolutely. Yes. I read every moment I could. And often when I was writing, I would be reading at the same time. I might start off by reading something and then go into writing. And also I was really lucky because at work, I was just reading so many great books Mm. as well. That was definitely a big inspiration and lesson for me. Yeah, it was fantastic. One of the things that I really liked about your novel There's a few novelists that do it, and I wonder if there was any that you were inspired by, but that idea of an unreliable narrator where you're not quite sure whether the person that's got you in the palm of their hands is telling you the truth. And I know that's the way that you created this mystery in this book, but it is certainly a writer's trick, isn't it, to do this kind of false mirrors was there authors that you were inspired by that have taken this I mean definitely my narrator Tilly is unreliable and I think she's kind of a funny unreliable narrator in as much as she's always kind of proclaiming her own unreliability as well and then it's like how do you even 
you know, if the unreliable narrator is saying that they're unreliable, what do you even make of that? Um, and you're totally right. I mean, there are so many books where that kind of play on the idea of an unreliable narrator. And now I'm racking my mind to come up with one. And I'm kind of like passing through different books that were definitely inspirations for me when I was writing this. I guess because, you know, there's a sense Maybe what I'm thinking about now is that, you know, in real life when someone tells you a story, I think, I don't know, maybe I'm just a sceptical person, but most of the time you hear their story and then you think, well, I I don't necessarily always just think, well, that must be the truth of that situation. Mm, 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 I'd be interested to hear what the other person had to say or, you know, whatever. It's sort of uh, maybe informed as well by my understanding of that person and, you know, what their personality is and all of that kind of stuff but then when you read a book sometimes it's sort of like oh that just is what happened and that's the truth but shouldn't all narrators in a way perhaps be treated with some skepticism I don't know like you know some titles that informed this book I mean I really love Daphne de Moreau's Rebecca no I was just about to say unreliable I don't think that she Well, there's someone that's unreliable in that book. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think she definitely misunderstood, like, her understanding of the relationship between Rebecca and Maxim isn't correct. So in that sense, but she is, I think, being honest in her retelling of how she interprets their relationship. She just has misread the situation. Yeah, I'm so pleased that you brought up a gothic sort of writer but also a really young writer because I think Mm. that she wrote Rebecca when she was under 30 as well. Like you, like under 35, she was really pretty, pretty young to be writing this novel that has survived so many years as I'm sure yours is going to as well. I don't know that much about Daphne de Moreau's life, but I do love that book and I have read it so many times. <laughs> do you go back to read your favourite novels? Do you All do- the time, yeah. yeah. I read and reread them just over and over again. And I really love when you return to a novel. Actually, I think one of the most rewarding things for me is when I read a book and maybe I don't connect with it that much and then I go back to it, you know, a few years later and it just blows me away because then I feel like I've kind of maybe grown as a reader or as a person and I can see things that I couldn't see before and that's very exciting. (laughs) That happens to me too. Sometimes I'll be talking about a book or, or come up at a dinner party and I know that I've read it but other people's memories of it are so different to mine that I'm that I have to go back and read it just because I'm not sure what I've remembered and what I haven't that's right, being an unreliable narrator myself. (laughs) (laughs) But And also that brings me to one of the other themes in your book that's done so beautifully is that sense of that people remember what they want to remember. Everyone has the same people might have been at the same incident or the same conversation or indeed read the same book for people Uh like you and I. But everybody remembers things differently. Like can we rely on memory? I felt like that was perhaps one of the big questions that your book asked. Yeah, I think that's something I was definitely thinking about. I think I was kind of coming at it from two angles. One is that before I worked in publishing when I was in Australia, I worked for a year at the family court as a judge's associate. And I think one of the things I took away from that experience was that the different parties to relationships can remember their shared events in the relationship really differently. And I have that with my partner as well. You know, we'll just have really different memories of how things have gone. And we both genuinely kind of remember it differently. And I just find that really interesting. And then I think as well, 
I'm kind of an anxious person. I would say maybe I have kind of an anxiety problem and I'll, you know, sometimes, you know, have to go back and check that I've turned the stove off or things like that. And to me, that that's this kind of feeling of not being able to trust your own memory. Like I'll check that the stove is off, but then I'll still have to go back and check again. And to me, that feeling is really awful. I hate, I hate that feeling when you don't trust yourself, but I guess I wanted to kind of explore that in, in, in the book or yeah, I guess I was living in it and I wanted to kind of put it into the writing. Yeah. It certainly comes across and it did make me think quite a lot about conversations that I had. Actually, you know, to be honest, your book reminded me of school reunions. (laughs) (laughs) The last school reunion that I went to and someone was recounting in great detail something that I had done in year 11 and I was so bewildered that this had happened to me and that I had said and done something surely for the love of God I haven't but anyway yes no and I think as well with you know my character Matilda often she she just doesn't ask that question you know what did happen or kind of challenge things or you know uh, and I guess that's a feeling I've felt too because I've definitely had situations like that but then often I won't say oh, no, I don't think I did that, but I'll just sort of say, oh, mm, okay, and then, yeah, you know, rather than having that kind of more difficult conversation, yeah. Well, I really enjoyed that your book, your novel, your award-winning novel put me into that mindset of reflecting on my own youth. It's It's a really difficult thing to do to bring up other people's memories while you're reading a book, and your book managed to do that, so congratulations. Now, I thought that was... That was a joy. That was a joy that happened to me while reading your novel. And, of course, I have to now ask for the very last question. Are you working on something else? Actually, I've got two questions. Are you working on something else? And everybody that's listening now will want you to say yes. So please (laughs) create something now if you're not. And the other thing that people want to know is what you're reading. So can we start with are you now creating another mystery-bound, troubled youth family saga that's going to be made surely into some sort of TV series. (laughs) I love your vision. Um, I hope that's what I'm doing. (laughs) Fingers crossed. I mean, I am working on something new. It's been difficult. I had my baby, my daughter was born four months ago. That's been keeping me pretty busy, but I have been working away on something new. I start usually with the setting or well, I say usually in the in the only novel I've written, I started with the <laughs> setting, <laughs> and I'm doing that again. Um, so I'm thinking of New York, Amsterdam, and Melbourne as the cities where so it's kind of set between three cities. Because my immediate family, my parents and my sister, live in Amsterdam in the Netherlands, and I spent a lot of time seven years in New York, and then I've also lived in Melbourne for a while. So I know those cities well enough, I think, to try and write something set there. And then next, I'm thinking about the characters. So I'm starting to think about like a kind of constellation of friends and their families so their siblings but also their parents but it does I think at the moment at least in my mind have that kind of idea of you know people who knew each other when they were younger at school and then reconnecting a bit older this time maybe in their 30s um, and kind of looking at how the events of the past might impact Mm -hmm the events of the novel now and maybe as a new mum I'm yeah particularly thinking as well about the parents and how their lives might have might have changed yeah 
Well, everybody says, write what you know, yeah. write what you know, and there yeah. you are. Yeah, I think I find it easier to write about a place when I'm not in it maybe and can see it kind of from a bit a bit of distance, yeah. yeah. I like that. Now, what are you reading at the moment in between feeding a four-month-old child <laughs> just trying to, you know, get dressed and get through the day? So there are a few things that I have just finished reading that I loved and then a few things that I'm reading and then some things that I want to read. So I just finished reading Jessica Ow's Cold Enough for Snow, which is so beautiful. I looked the night before I went into labour. I was in the bath reading it and then I got out and my waters broke and I thought this couldn't be more perfect. It's such a calm, contemplative, uh, you know, you obviously know it, but, yeah, about a a woman and her mother travelling through Japan and it's so beautiful. Yeah, He has a very sort of lyrical pose. Gorgeous. So I loved that. And then on a completely different note, I also recently read Antoine Wilson, Mouth to Mouth, which is, he's an American writer and it's a sort of thriller about a guy who goes to the airport, a writer who goes to the airport and bumps into an old kind of acquaintance from college who takes him to the first class lounge and tells him this story about a guy who he gave mouth to mouth resuscitation to at the beach and saved his life and then kind of insinuates himself into this guy's life and the guy is a big figure in the art world in LA and it becomes this slow burn thriller about, I think, like wealth and um, art. It's really, really good and, yeah, just a really fun read. And then at the moment I'm currently reading Sayaka Murata's Life Ceremony, so short story. She wrote Convenience Store Woman, which I loved. I'm sure you know. This is a new one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they're so good. I've read only just the first few stories, but they are fantastic. There's one, it's like set in a world where people use human remains, like they make chairs out of human bones or wear human hair in sweaters. But it's so funny because it's, <laughs> I don't want to ruin it, but it sort of inverts that it's, it's told by this woman whose husband finds that idea really revolting, but everyone else finds it really normal. And they're like, it's so strange that you would be revolted by this totally normal and productive way of using. It's so good. I love it. It really challenges the way you see the world. It's so cool. So I'm loving that. And then what I want to read is Portrait of a Thief by Grace B. Lee, which I think is about a guy who is approached by, I think it's a Chinese corporation, and asked to steal back famous artworks that have been taken from China and are now in other galleries um, and kind of steal them steal them back, which I think is such a cool idea for a book. So that's on my, on my list of things that I want to read. And I also have, and I'm really late on this, but Love and Virtue by Diana Reid sitting on my to-read pile as well. So I've got to read that, yeah. That's a very generous answer now. And it also gives us a bit of an expose on who you are. You're like, I will not be genre-defined by my (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like to read everything. (laughs) Yeah. Now, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Readings Podcast and congratulations once again from all of us at Readings for winning the Vogel Prize. We are delighted for you. And we have been delighted to read and sell your book. And uh, we are already looking forward to the global journey that your next one will be. Wishing you well over these next few months as you continue to read and look after one of your greatest creations, of course. Thanks for having me. Oh, what a pleasure. What a pleasure. 
You can stream previous episodes of the Readings Podcast at our website, where you'll also find all kinds of other recommendations for great books, music, film, and TV. You can also sign up to e-news or to receive our free monthly newsletter, The Readings Monthly. The Readings Podcast is produced by me, Nico Callion. The show's music is by Tom Hoskins. All episodes of this show are recorded and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land and pay my earnest respects to elders past, present, and those emerging. Thank you for listening.